welcome David to Bitcoin People, the inaugural, the initial, the very first podcast of hopefully a series that people will come and enjoy and feel a sense of community with and uh, with other Bitcoin people. Uh, David, you're from Perth. You and I originally met online in a trading group. Correct. And you very kindly put your hand up when I put the word out on Twitter and said, hey, anyone want to be interviewed for this? And you were the sucker for punishment that came up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm sure I'm in that. And the purpose of this is to, as we were just chatting about before, and as I've kind of put out on Twitter, is really just to create a sense of community with other Bitcoin mm. plebs and to get to know one another and go, do we have values in common the way that I suspect? And mm -hmm. what are other Bitcoiners like and where do they live and how does Bitcoin fit into their life and their philosophy and their values and what do they want from this? That's really kind of what I'm interested yeah. in is what are your hopes and dreams when it comes to Bitcoin? Because I feel like we've got a lot riding on this. Yes. A lot of us are quite, you know, there's a high stakes, there's a high emotional involvement in this. Thing. Definitely. So perhaps we can start, and I think the easiest way to start is to get a sense of your background. So mm -hmm. I'm really curious as to what brings people into this space. How sure. do we end up here? What would the background, what made us who we are? Yeah. And how does that feed into as we get through the conversation a little bit? So I'll start with kind of a bit of background and how you feel, who you feel you are and where you think that kind of came from, how you became you. Sure thing. And then we'll kind of leverage from there. So uh, tell me a bit about yourself, David. <laughs> Where'd you come from? And uh, what do you think are kind of some of the formative events, influences mm -hmm. that made you who you are today? Sure. So the so I grew up in, I was born in Perth technically, but I um, was immediately uh, taken to Eniaba, which is a small country town about three hours north of Perth. It's primarily based around mining. So there's a lot of mine sites there. My father was working on the mines at the time. So for the first six years, I grew up there in a country town environment, which I reflect on that I really love because it kind of, I love being in the city like I'm a city boy now, but I've got sort of that grounding of being in nature, chasing, you know, tadpoles in the winter and things like that, picking up frogs, um, walking around in the summer on 45, 50 degree roads. You know, mum didn't put shoes on us because that was the easiest way to stop us running away very far. <laughs> so, um, and just being in the bush, you know, even having, uh, what are they? like the the thorny lizards like where it's really spiky you can't even pick yeah. them up like just cool stuff like that which i appreciate and just having a small community which i'm still connected to like yeah. just old friends that have been around for that long so that's where i grew up uh, for the first six years but then we moved to uh back up to perth into a suburb called les murdy which is in the hills of perth and so as the in terms of stuff that made me or shaped me i think that was a big part of it the country town living was great but then when i moved cities i kind of lost friends because this was back in the late 80s there was no oh, yeah, you know facebook yeah. or anything like that 
so there were connections I lost, had formed new connections, but I was um, not good at forming them. I was quite a shy person. And so I go into situations where I actually ended up being bullied a lot in school. But the way that actually helped me in life is I had, I didn't quite understand people. I was kind of naive with people and um, behaviour types and things like that. So they actually just kind of led me on a quest of trying to understand people, which I feel I do pretty well now, yeah. which I'm actually quite grateful for. Another piece of that that lended itself to that into my career was I, in high school, going to photography, my sister was doing it and I would just see her when I was in my classroom window looking out she'd be walking around school with a camera in her hand I was like that's cool you get to get out of class so I <laughs> literally that's how that was my first thought so in year nine I started doing photography as like an elective but then really enjoyed it you know in the dark room doing the processing lots of black and white um so I continued that through year 10 11 12 and as I was doing 11 and 12 I started getting awards for it and thought hey, maybe this can be my career path because it was either that or computing because I was into my computing at that time. I grew up with the, the beginnings of the internet. Um, but I decided to go down the photography path and so I went to TAFE in Perth for photography. That was the better course. There was TAFE and two universities, but the universities were more conceptual ideas-based, right. whereas TAFE was more practical, like how to actually get stuff done. Um, so I went down that, did that three years full-time, through that, got to um, work on projects of publishing books, which was separate to TAFE, was like an extracurricular thing, but it ended up sending me to China to do printing and things like that. And the, in terms of the bullying, the photography was actually a good way for me to understand people, because yeah. I got to just kind of observe people through the lens, start interacting with them, start, you know, trying to get people to smile and things like that, or pose in different ways. So it was actually like my, an entry for me to be confident and to deal with people more. So when I um, started getting into business, I'd have to shoot events. I'm shy, I don't want to deal with 30 or 50 or 100 people, but I had to. So, you know, having the camera, like cameras are authority to boss people around. As soon as someone's got a camera in their hand, they can start telling you what to do. For some reason you do it, it makes no sense. Yeah. Um, so that was actually a good learning experience for me. But with coming out of TAFE, I landed a, a job immediately. I didn't want to be a photographer with my own business at all so I started working with another guy Wilfred um, and over the course of four years we became very close he trusted me I trusted him and I actually ended up becoming a half owner of his business and then later when he retired a full owner um, so I was in that business for 15 years as employee manager I guess and then stepping into the role of owners so I had this whole evolution of not even wanting to own a business so suddenly, you know, being the head of it, having 22 staff, uh, we photographed a lot of schools, sporting clubs, um, events. So, you know, dealing with lots of things all the time, it was just very, very busy. Um, and to the end where I ended up selling the business because it was time for me to get out, I was kind of over it. And that was five years ago. And I accidentally retired. And this will come to the Bitcoin thing a bit later, but I accidentally retired in the sense that I had a, a slow payout over four and a half years. And I've just slowly stretched that money further and further, which has then <laughs> led me into wanting to keep doing that, yeah, <laughs> trading, yeah, yeah. investing in all that. So that, that's the, you know, the five minute digest of how I got to if you're in where China. I am now. Yeah. Okay. So a couple of questions obviously coming up. Um, yeah, the first one is, uh, I know you mentioned in our kind of pre-interview correspondence, you said something about that very first 
uh, town that you lived in outside of Perth was a mining yes. town. Correct. So I'm curious about, um, did you learn anything about mining? Were your parents involved in mining in some way, shape or form? How did that? Well, Dad was actually, he was a rehabilitation officer for the mine. So we had, a, or he had a background in environmental consulting or environmental rehab where yeah. he was never, I wouldn't call him a greenie because he was too practical. He, you know, he was never an ideologue. He was yeah. more just in the farm, sorry, the mines needed, um, once they finished digging up the dirt mm. and they were done with it, they need to, to put it back as close as they could to the way it was. So oh, his job was to get in and do that because they were doing mineral sands mining, which is all shallow. It's not where they were, it was shallow depth. They just raised the land, dig a bunch of dirt, put it all back down again, and then, you know, put trees over it. So that was his job was to put it all back together after the after it was done. I love hearing about kind of just things people do that I would never imagine existed yeah. as a job. And, so, and so my sisters kind of follow that a little bit. My elder sister is a hydrographer. I've got two sisters. The eldest is a hydrographer, so dealing with water flows and things like that for creeks and rivers. And so okay. she kind of followed a bit in the environmental path. My middle sisters, both older than me, um, she initially, she actually worked for my father for a while um, when he had his own business later on in life. Um, they were doing environmental accounting at that time. So seeing how much emissions companies put out, measuring it, quantifying it, and doing like a, an annual report in the same, oh, sorry, something's popping up on my computer, doing an annual report uh, to the government of what emissions they're putting into the atmosphere. Yep. Um, so, yeah, my sister worked in that. Now she does other things. So they kind of followed his path a bit. Yeah, and I just yeah. went way off the beaten track and <laughs> did something completely different. And my mother, in when we were in, in that small town, she didn't work. She was raising us. Um, but as we got older, I think when I was probably age 10 or so, she started to get back into the workforce um, doing catering, cooking kind of jobs. That was her forte before then. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, so... Would you be able to identify what you think were some of the formative values you grew up with? Like, like, are there values that the whole family have in common? It certainly sounds like it. Uh, what we're are the pretty, characteristics well, almost of your family or the values of your family? Or do you feel you're all very different? Have you grown up, uh, have you um, accumulated different values or evolved different values since those early days? I think we have to a degree, but I guess the core value that's held us together, we're not super tight. We're not in each other's lives, like on a daily basis, yeah. um, which suits me fine. And it kind of suits us all fine. Like my, both my sisters, I just catch up when I need to catch up and we're there for each other when we need to be there for each other. But yeah, if we're all yeah. fine, then we're just off doing our own thing, which yeah, is yeah, kind of yeah. nice. So like even with dad's, you know, dad had the vague idea that if we want to work in his business or take it over, that was great. But if we didn't, that was also great. Yeah. So I think there's been a relaxed attitude with my parents where they were never trying to force us into anything, like to live out the life that they wanted. Yeah. It was more, yeah. though, you know, helping us along the way, but just guiding us and supporting us in the path we want to take, yeah. um, which I feel and kind of still continues today, like, you know, going from photography to then sort of semi-retiring to you know, I went to Bali for a while and tried to retreat into there. Like, I've never had a big resistance from my parents. They'll question me, mm. but it's not, 
questioning for the sake of condemning it. It's just questioning, like just to tease out, is this what you really want? Okay, great, I'll go do it. Um, and so I'd say that's in terms of a key value, it's probably just, um, we've got a nice supportive nature between us, but without a, trying to push each other in any particular way. Um, so, yeah. so just expand a little bit on that retreat centre in Bali. What was that all about and where did that fit into the career progression? The diagram, yeah, yeah. So photography what, business? Yep. Yeah. yeah, when I sold the photography business, I didn't know what I wanted to do next. I thought I'll just take a, you know, six, 12 months off, just travel the world, enjoy myself, just let myself decompress from working 80 hour weeks for 15 years. Yeah. So I did that, you know, did a bit of travel around the world, walked across Spain, um, climbed a mountain, you know, did these fun things, lived in Melbourne for a while. And it was when I was in Melbourne, I briefly worked as a travel agent there for six months, just because I wanted to see behind the scenes of the travel industry, because yeah. that's, I've always enjoyed traveling. So I just wanted to see what happens, you know, behind, yeah. um, just to know about it. But um, while I was doing that job, I had had visited Bali previously and I enjoyed my time there. I was there for maybe three or four months and I thought I really want to do something there, but I didn't know what, but being a travel agent, I was exposed to all kinds of ideas and I thought actually doing a retreat center would kind of be cool because I always enjoyed personal development. When I was in my business, I was always doing things to develop my mind separate to, you know, just business. It was actually, you know, developing myself as a person but I never wanted to be a practitioner in any of the things that I studied. I didn't like that one-on-one -on -one kind of delivery, but I did love being a part of it. So I thought, okay, this is a way that I could support that happening. So have a retreat center, have teachers come in with their students to teach whatever they teach. And I can be the logistics and the back end behind it because with dealing with photography and especially school photography, we're shooting a thousand kids in the day. That's yeah. not a photography exercise, that's a logistics exercise. Yeah. The photography is just kind of, you know, in the background of that. And so I became very good at logistics. It's essentially event management every day, dealing with a thousand kids. So I thought, okay, I've got that skill of being able to understand how to run an event. This is a slightly different kind of event, but I understand it. I'm good with customer service. So yeah, I want to contribute in that way, being the, the person behind the person, you know, have the venue there, support them in whatever the teacher needs so that they can focus on what the students need. So it's a big jump. Like it's a big jump to go from working in your own business that you've already got a grounding in, uh, in photography, like you work for someone else, then you worked for yourself. Yeah. So there's a kind of familiarity about that. Then you've got a job and that's kind of, you know, in the travel industry. So Oh, people are looking after stuff there for you to some degree. So yes. then you go and live in Bali and buy or create a business in Bali. Yeah. How, that's a that's a big like that's that's well, that, that's quite a high risk. Sort of. You know, so like, I'll, like I'll I, I would find that scary. I'll paint the picture of how I rationalized it because I had the same thing. I was like, far out, going to a foreign country, starting business, like yeah, that seems yeah. extreme. But the way I rationalized it is I started looking at what skill sets I developed over those 15 years that were applicable to it. I became very good at dealing with documentation in terms of legalities, taxes, all of that kind of thing. Right. Hated it, but I became very good at it because I, you know, was dealing with a couple million dollar business, 22 staff, had to, you know, figure stuff out. 
became good at that, became very good at customer service, both on the retail and on the wholesale end. So retail, doing school photography, we were dealing with parents, yeah, which is very different to dealing with the school itself. Right. You know, it's there's like a retail wholesale it's like time. Business, basically. Yeah, it's like business to business and business to consumer. So I was good at both of those. So I knew that'd be fine dealing with students. I'd be fine dealing with practitioners. I had a lot of experience in personal development. So I've done, you know, probably 10 different courses with different people over the time, some quite in-depth, some like seven-day, 12-hour-a-day marathons of different courses that I've been a student of. And some of those courses I also assisted on. So I got to see behind the scenes of those. Yep. Um, so I kind of, I had a understanding of practitioner concerns and logistics of running those kind of events. Um, you know, I did the travel agent thing because I wanted to understand more about the behind the scenes of travel. So in terms of getting the students and the practitioner to Bali and dealing with the logistics of what might go wrong with flights or bookings or, you know, all that kind of stuff, I had an understanding of it all. And I briefly lived in Bali. I had that four months there. So I had a bit of an understanding of the culture and the people. I'd have a few connections there, both locals and expats. So when I start adding it all together, it's like, I understand enough that this doesn't feel too risky. And I, fortunately, I had an um, Aussie partner there who had been there for like 30 years and he helped initially with having a venue that I borrowed of his for a few retreats. And then we were together building a separate one, which we stopped because of COVID, but we were building a separate one. But he had been building property for 30 years in Bali. So when we talked about this, like that was, if I was personally doing it, that would have been super high risk because I know nothing about building construction, any of that. I've never had an experience of it, right. but he had a lot. Okay. And he, he knew the, the landowners, he rented it for 30 years, he did with all the logistics of that. So part of it was going on faith in terms of, you know, this could go really bad, but part of it's like, no, I've got a lot of skills to bring to this. So I'm comfortable enough to give it a go. Good for you. And yeah. so there's lots of different things coming through and it's really difficult to know which way to go with this, but I, I'm going to pick up the thread of the personal development. Sure. Because that's what led you to wanting to open a retreat centre. That was a yes. value that had kind of come through. And so what do I want to ask around this? I guess I want to know... What was that calling inside you? What what did you, why were you pursuing personal development? What did you want to get from personal development? And where do you feel you're at with that journey now? Well, I had absolutely zero interest in it um, at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> because the way it came about was um, when I, so when I was like 19-ish, yep, yep. I was still in sort of that shy phase. But as I was doing my photography studies, I was like, you know, probably like five years from now, this is going to be easy. So between here and there, I just have to like hold on and ride with it. And yeah. at some point in five years, I'll get to a point where I feel comfortable doing everything I'm doing with photography. And that is how it played out. I kind of just set that goal in my mind to as a way of getting over the shyness of all the stuff I had to do and the people I had to deal with. Um, and that kind of worked out where, you know, between 19 and 25, I joined that business. I started shooting all these events, shooting portraits, shooting things I was uncomfortable with. I preferred shooting landscapes because that didn't involve people, but I ended up being in a people business. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
so that kind of naturally developed my people skills and things like that. When I was 25, I met, um, I went to Vegas for a photography conference. I met a um, American woman there who I deeply fell in love with. It was just one of those love at first sight, beautiful things. So we started doing the, you know, flying back and forth thing and lots of expensive phone calls before we had Skype and all those things, Yeah. Um, which was beautiful. But her and I going to, about eight months in, it just started to get a bit weird and a bit tense because we, she, when we met, she was separated but not divorced. We met, fell in love, but then she was still, still dealing with all that kind of stuff of being married and having to go through all the separation. So just our communication went from being this pure love, amazing, youthful vibrance to now being, oh, this is a bit crunchy. Now we're dealing with actual emotions and, you know, all the stuff that you have to. So it was through that process, my business partner, I think it was my business partner at the time, he um, kind of saw all this going on. He was like, Dave, I think you, you might need to just start, you know, getting a bit of support here, like looking at how you're thinking because you don't seem to be enjoying life with this whole interaction that's going on and, you know, living in two time zones because yeah. often she was in America. Um and so, and I was kind of just tense and kind of grumpy all the time because I, you know, I had my, I'd always had the fancy of having the one, you know, a very romantic kind of person, but now there was just all this friction kind of getting in the way of it. And I was young and didn't have the communication skills to navigate all that. So there was a course that he did and, you know, over the weekend he went and did this thing. I didn't know what it was. On Monday I saw him and he was just a very different person on the Monday, just very calm he was an older guy normally he was had old man syndrome like he was just kind of scattered kind of a bit wild but on that monday he was just calm and grand and i was like what did you just do i was like well i kind of can't tell you the details I was like what do you mean like i was instantly <laughs> outraged like have you joined a cult what's going on here like, no, no 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 you might just want to you know come check this out i was like <laughs> okay and i only said okay because i saw how he changed just so quickly to just being very calm compared to his normal state of being. So I went along to like the information night and I was like, hmm, okay, something's kind of resonating here in terms of um, talking about thinking the way you're thinking and maybe you're, you're creating a real reality that you're not enjoying. I was like, yeah, okay, fine. Um, so he was like, okay, let's just sign you up. So we signed me up, but unbeknownst to me, he signed me up for, they had three programs. He signed me up for all three at the same time. <laughs> so it was like a two-day one, a three-day one, and a seven-day one. Oh, wow. Which was interesting. But yeah, it was yeah. it was actually kind of cool because he, and we did it all through the business. Like he was just like, we'll put it through the business, whatever. I was like, okay. Um, but I actually, leading up to the first one, I actually had a lot of resistance to it. Like it was coming mm -hmm. up on, you know, the Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And so on like the Wednesday, I was like, I don't know if I can make it. I'm stressed, tired, blah, blah, blah. So I sent them a message saying, hey, yeah, I'm not going to make it. Can we just put it to the next one? And they're like, no, we don't work that way. I was like, what do you mean? They're like, read what you signed. We don't do refunds. We don't do exchanges. We don't do pushbacks. You're either coming now or, or if you come in the future, you're going to have to pay again. And so I was like, well, I'm not coming. So I didn't go. And they're like, that's fine. No refund, <laughs> which pissed me off even more. But because of that, I didn't want to lose the other two courses because I think it was like two grand and then another seven grand for the other ones. Right. A lot of money at stake. So I ended up signing up again, doing the second course. And that's just where my whole life shifted because the, the basic intention of that course was to 
see how nothing in nothing that happened in life was ever a mistake. As in every anything that I was caught up with, like especially with the relationship. Yeah. Um, and even I never had a bad childhood, but there was just sort of tension with my um, parents at that particular time in my life. So it's like just looking back at my whole life and seeing how everything actually happened the way it needed to for me to get where I was in that moment. And if any of it was changed, there was no way that I'd actually be where I was right now. And so that just going through a process, it's kind of a process you go through, but at the end of it, I was just, oh, just grateful for everything that happened in my life. Grateful for the relationship I was in, even with all its drama. Grateful for the business I was, you know, going through in that growth. And so that kind of set me on the journey. And I did the first course, and I did the second, and I did the third. And I was enjoying thinking about how I was thinking. Because prior to that, I'd always been curious about other people. But yeah. now I was actually having to really get into myself deeper and deeper and figure out, you know, my behaviours and why I did certain things. And so that, yeah, that led on the path. So I did their courses, and I did um, courses through another supplier, then another one, then another one, bits and pieces, did stuff around health and fasting so I got into the body more which was really integrated it when I did a 14-day water fast I was like whoa like I had a whole different level of understanding of my body and my mind and how they're all working together um I've done the you know the cold bath thing with Wim Hof methods and the breathing oh, yeah. yeah yeah all kinds of things which have been super beneficial I've been to Costa Rica and done ayahuasca there which I, I've never been into drugs I've only tried marijuana twice in my life yeah and alcohol barely like I just don't drink or don't do anything I like my mind too much but I did ayahuasca <laughs> uh, five that was intense that was five sessions and seven nights yeah, so that was yeah. like um but it was all like it was all just this journey of understanding myself really um and so that because I appreciated that journey, that's kind of led me into what led me into the retreat center thing. It's like I've loved doing this for myself and I've loved seeing other people go through it as well. Even when I've helped facilitate, you know, helped at the different events. Um, so I thought this would be a great opportunity for me to support people in their journey. But again, be that logistic side of it versus being someone that, you know, teaches and does the thing the teaching myself I'd rather support the teachers yeah and what they do I there's so much that I want to <laughs> I want to get into around just talking to the fire hose here it's just like dumb in it yeah <laughs> no I mean it's fascinating and I kind of you know I've been down some of that path myself I'm I'm just um I'm also a little bit kind of mindful of time so that, as we were saying before it's this kind of juggling of really wanting to go deep but also wanting to sort of well, get Bitcoin. into the Bitcoin story <laughs> which is kind of primarily what this is all meant to be about so I, I'm going to ask you um, instead of deep diving into kind of each of those elements and what came out yeah uh, at each step of the way as it were who do you think you were before you went into all of that process and who do you think you are now like if you had to capture the essence or uh, of the the changes that have taken place through all of that what was the starting point and and where's the current iteration of David um I think before that I was pretty unaware like I was quite self-centered but not in a not in a trying to be way I was just very focused on myself and my path and my journey and what I was up to 
mm. but just in a logistical sense like i was just doing stuff like you know just doing the photography just trying to get here just trying to be successful just 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 kind of thing but yeah. i wasn't i wasn't super conscious i was just kind of in a very career focused state and so even with my relationships i wasn't really aware of where they were up to what they want in life or that kind of thing or with my family or friends or anything i was very focused yeah. um what doing all the stuff helped me do and i think because of that focus i can't burn bridges because i didn't quite understand necessarily where others were at and yeah. so therefore i got confused yeah. if people were suddenly out of my life like hey why is this happening yeah um doing the course and actually there's a small piece there i used to because of the bullying in school i was always trying to impress people so i'd find myself spending too much to impress people that I didn't wasn't really connected with. I wasn't figuring out whether I really liked them or if they really liked me. It was more just I was on this merry-go-round of trying to be liked, but you know, sabotaging myself. So after all of this, I guess I'm just more centered in who I am. Like I figured out how I like to operate in life and not being apologetic for that, but being very communicative of here's who I am. Yeah. If you like that, let's hang out. If you don't like that, that's cool. Let's not hang out. Like I'm not desperate for attention or for um, having people like me anymore. I'm just centered in who I am and I just present myself honestly now about exactly who I am in life. Like I'm doing with this talk, like this is this is who I am. This is what I've gone through. If yeah. we vibe, great. If we don't, that's okay as well. Um, so it's just a very live and let live kind of space now. And if you had to talk, if I were to ask you then about beliefs, so mm. I'm thinking now specifically about ayahuasca and mm. it, it can give you in, insights into not just yourself and how you operate and your behaviours, which is, um, if I were to put it in the category of maybe cognitive behavioural or kind of psychological, whereas ayahuasca yeah. is well outside of all of that of course it gives you insights potentially into the nature of the universe rather than just kind of your own humanity yeah uh, was there any change of belief system or understanding about the world that came out of that um yes two parts and i guess the other part how i've changed is i do understand other people a lot better i can just you know if i'm watching someone for a few hours and their actions and what they're saying, I can kind of start to figure out, you know, a rough pattern of how they are because I can see the human patterns, human behaviours more now about yeah. myself and about others, like I've been able to relate all together. So in terms of a more global context, when I'm seeing, you know, various dramas going on, I'm understanding just, I guess, patterns that are playing out in people. And that's something that I guess we've talked about in the investing, you know, there's all these big, big patterns that go on in terms of humanity and how, you know goes through this phase and this phase and this phase so part of me understanding investing has been part of me just understanding human behavior because it's all just you know the, the markets are just human emotions rolling on so i understand people's emotions in terms of even bigger and more esoteric i was atheist as a child um from age 10 i just decided to become atheist because i was in my religious classes and it wasn't making sense to me i was like no this seems a bit weird in terms of what people were saying versus how they were behaving. It's yeah, like yeah. there's a disconnect. Um, but when I actually did that first course, I kind of got a sense of what I see God is without 
any of the religion or the attachment of dogma or any belief system. And it's just like, okay, there's just something big going on here. And it actually does seem kind of organized. And that's okay. Like I can just accept that mm-hmm. without having to pray to it or worship it or any of that. It's just like, I'm not keeping my heart beating here. Something, something set this up, whatever that something is, that's pretty cool. Um, and like that's as far as I go, but I don't, I understand why people get into the different fates and things like that. I don't get into any of, I get into all of them. I like all of them, but um, I'm just looking for the commonalities between all of them, like the universal parts of it. And so I think that's what it's given me. It's like, I've got this base structure of understanding how life works. I'm just seeing how other interpretations of life kind of fit into that and how they feed together, you know, whether someone's this religion or that religion or whether they've got no religion, but they've got spirituality. I'm just saying, okay, how how are all these things actually common? Yeah. Especially when they don't think they are. I'm just trying to look at the commonalities. So it gives you almost, so so do you feel like, and I'm going to kind of steer us towards Bitcoin and trading now. Yeah. And those are two different things um, because there's kind of Bitcoin as a commodity and then there's, or a monetary system. Yes. And a protocol versus trading, which is, you know, a whole different kettle of fish altogether. Sure. So, and and within that, we've got macro and we've got micro. (laughs) I'm just going to hold fire. We may have to edit this bit out. Yeah, you're talking about the macro. Macro and the macro is what you're saying? Yeah, okay, that's finished now. So let's just go into, first of all, from a personal point of view, do you feel like that gives you some sense of emotional detachment from what's going on? Whether that means detachment from, and I will go macro and micro here. So at the macro level, we've got political stuff going on and everybody's very kind of enraged and outraged and, got very strong opinions and then at the micro level we've got the fear and greed index every day and we've got the emotions of watching that little yeah (laughs) the green the green and the red and the green and the red you know the candles (laughs) and the five minutes you know yeah (laughs) I mean there's something just insanely addictive about watching a five minute chart tick over um And, and and that's, I mean, I always think of that as just the emotions of an entire market, like hundreds of thousands of people and bots, all just condensed into that one little five-minute candle, you know, like hundreds of thousands of people. So my so do you find that from all that work you've done, you've got some uh detachment or ability to be a little bit more emotionally removed from a the the big noisy kind of culture wars and twitter verse kind of uh, heated discussions uh but also at that day-to-day trading level i'd say i i go both ways i'd say i can get out of my emotions quicker so yeah, I can yeah. still get wrapped up in stuff here and there, depending on uh, wake up, have a bad day, sleep bad, see a good argument happening, dive into it, <laughs> you know, join, join the punch up. But then I can um, often get out of it quickly as well. Like, hang on, what am I doing here? Am I just wasting time on this 
this nothing argument, which means nothing, none of us know each other and blah, 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 and I'm probably talking to a computer. Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't say I'm, I float above it, but I definitely find myself able to get out of it quicker or figure out what about it is triggering me. Like, why am I specifically annoyed about this thing? Is that reflecting something in me that I, you know, just need to think about a bit more versus just, you know, rubbishing some other person or some other bot on the internet? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think trading's actually been a big part of that because I only got into the stocks and crypto about two and a half years ago in Bali when I, when COVID hit, couldn't do the business, sat around for six months just waiting for something to change. It didn't. And so I thought, okay, I might get into this because I've always been afraid of it. Dad always, you know, was afraid around the stock market and that kind of fear soaked into me. But I was like, if he was dead right now, would I do this? And I was like, yes. I was like, well, he's not dead, but maybe I can do it anyway. <laughs> and so yeah, that good that's you. what led me into it. But it was really interesting just seeing my emotions. And, you know, I started with the stock market. I bought one Tesla stock at like 700 bucks at the time, which because of stock splits, it's probably only... And at 200 bucks is what I actually was. And I was just nervous. Like that there now, isn't it? Well, there was a stock split though. So, oh, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. So now it's still the equivalent of like 3,500 or something. So okay. back then it was 700 instead of 35, but I was still nervous as hell, like sweating on it. Yeah, um, yeah. Bought this one thing and then a month later I bought like five more, you know, just suddenly was hooked into it. Yeah. Um, but it's been interesting seeing my emotions around the money side of things yeah. and trying to temper that out. I think like doing we've both done Jason's course, a lot of that's helped me. And also just having the time in the market, like I've been watching stuff for two and a half years now. Yeah. So it's hard for me to sustain emotions of like this. It's like, well, no, I find myself seeing further and further back yeah. to really like zoom out, especially now. It's like good just to like be back here looking at, I, I don't look at the five minutes, I try and avoid it. <laughs> because I would get roped in, but, uh, you know, just looking at the one days, barely even the four hours, just so I'm like, just trying to get this big picture as much as I can. Yeah. Um, because I I can be volatile. I can yeah, get on the one hour and be like, what's going on here? Is it crashing down? Is it breaking down? Oh my God, I should have got in the other day when it was, you know, went from 19 to 22 and made a good trade. It's like, no, 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 just relax. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. So it's like I'm trying to I'm trying to do longer trading versus shorter trading. I find the shorter trading does make me more, more volatile. Yeah. You know, when I was doing the US stock market, I was doing some shorter trading there. That wears my body out more than if I just kind of sit back in a relaxed way as if I'm sitting with a coffee. I don't drink coffee, but just sitting back observing it all, I can make better decisions. And, yeah, kind of like what you spoke about, like just zooming out, letting myself as best I can be above it. Yeah, so that yeah. I can just just quietly, consciously make some choices. And it's hard. It's a very, I find a very, for all the influencers that are out there and great educators and teachers, it's still a very solo endeavour. Yeah. And I find that a little... Um, discomforting like just you know just yes. I'm not I'm not an experienced trader I'm not an experienced investor like you I've absorbed a lot of messages of fear around this space I'm really related to kind of that part of your journey and I had to kind of make that decision that I would go ahead regardless yes but, you know I'm I'm married with a kid and 
all the responsibilities yeah. that come with that, and, and it's and it's scary stuff. And you're up against people who have been in this market forever and who are out to, who are deliberately out to to get you money. money. Every winner, there's a loser, isn't there? And so, you just don't want to be on the losing end of that. Yeah. Um. To well, too consistently. So. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> Uh, so where do you feel uh, you're saying you're able to be a little bit more detached from those kind of the actions and the reactions of the market to some degree and you're stepping back and doing a little bit more kind of relaxing and not getting caught up in it so I'm curious I feel like I've got a sense of your kind of where you've come from and, and where you might be now albeit not terribly in depth and and you know if we had all the time in the world I'd want to delve further but I'm curious as to at at that big picture level the I've I've recently read the fourth turning I'm reading the sovereign individual um, I've just listened to a great uh, interview about the network state um Balaji Mm -hmm. whose surname I'm not going to get uh and so I see some, and I actually just listened to another interview with Lynn Alden this morning on um, Breedlove's um, uh, What Money Is show. So I get very interested in that macro. I don't know that it helps me in terms of day-to-day trading, but mm-hmm. it's, it's what I find myself drawn towards most and I can't help myself kind of listening to that stuff. Yes. Do you have a sense of those macro cycles and or is that of interest to you or no? yeah it, it, it definitely is it's something that I've, I think I through doing the um, the work that we've been doing you know with uh, Jason and Michael yeah um, that's got me more into it and I partly really connected with Michael on that because I find either I have a similar temperament to him or I identify more with him just as a temperament. Yeah, and he's yeah. just a slow, steady person, deep voice, kind of you know, just like this, which is how I am most of the time. Yeah, but he really, you know, has talked about the cycles and gone into all that esoteric stuff, and I was like, wow, that's really fascinating because he seems like such a technician, you know, just numbers. But yeah, he's yeah. Like, like way out here as well. Yeah, yeah, um, and a lot so, of that is the kind of GAN influence. Exactly, uh, which, that, but also kind of the. The secret life of real estate and banking. So the Philip yeah. Anderson stuff of the eighteen point six year cycles in property. So you've got those big pictures, but you've also got big GAN cycles as well that I think are kind of more in that fifty year range, aren't they? Or something. Yes. And then yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, and bigger well. than that. I think even Mike was talked about. You know, there's a few like two or three thousand year kind of deals that go on as well. I haven't heard Just that depending stuff. on how far you want to go. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And so I, I'm. At this stage, I'm bad at looking into any of those in a super deep way. It's more that I've got an awareness that those are like I'm, I haven't read the fourth turning or listened to these things yet. But as soon as I've heard people talk about it and I get the summary, I'm just going to throw that into my picture of like, okay, that makes sense. You know, you got this, 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 this. Cool. I, I um, with those ones, I don't like to get too stuck on the detail just because it's like too much information in my head. So, yeah. okay, I know this is roughly going to happen. This is the rough time frame. Yep. With that knowledge, what am I doing now? And, and I mean, the 18.6 has been a brilliant one. That's kind of in between, you know, 
the GAN stuff, like it's really narrowed it down to probably a better time frame for me, especially this next five years. It's like, cool, this is my action plan. I sold my house recently. Yep. That was part of the reason I came back to um, Australia was to sell my house. I've got this big stash of cash. We're close to the bottom of the market. I want to, that's why I'm looking. There's longer entries I want to get in sometime soon yeah. and then ride up because part of me is trying to secure my position. We spoke about that at the very beginning of like, you know, what am I doing this for? It's to secure my position so I can keep on with this accidental retirement and make it a bit more <laughs> purposeful. Um, yeah, that's just sort of the space I'm at. So I've, I've got the awareness of the big cycles and I kind of accept them in the same way that when I said I kind of have this broad understanding of what God is and, you know, what's going on in the universe and the fact that I'm not keeping my heart beating. It's like, okay, cool. I kind of get that. I don't need to go into all the detail of that or the speculation of all that stuff. It's just like, I'm aware of it. How is that helping me now? What's that awareness? You know, what can I do with that awareness? And the 18.6 is a great one. I've got, you know, five-ish years yep, to ride yep. this wave up. Yep get the hell out of Dodge and then start again. <laughs> and so, but you're selling I, a house now. I've just sold it. Literally, just sold it. Yeah, it settled three weeks ago. Um, will you put, so what are your thoughts around the um, kind of asset allocation at the moment then in terms it's of- pretty much all going to go into crypto. I'd start with, I'll just ride the wave up, start with Bitcoin sometime in the next, you know, few months, depending on yeah. where this bottom comes in, just start averaging down into it ride the Bitcoin wave up, then the Ethereum and then the alts and so on and so on. I know that, you know, the alts do pop off here and there and you can get your 20, 30, 50%. Yeah. I'm not I'm not good at the short-term trading. Like it just wigs my brain out a bit too much to really yeah, yeah. be that focused. For whatever reason, I used to actually be good at that level of focus when I was in my photography business. But in the past five years, I think partly with the Bali lifestyle or just this relaxing kind of life, it goes with nature. I'm not as good at just getting hyper-focused. It just burns me out too quickly. So now I prefer I prefer the long approach. So I figure, okay, I can ride the Bitcoin wave, Ethereum wave, alts wave, maybe a few speculative pieces of crap right at the end of the cycle and then get the hell out again and probably do it, you know, keep the base and, you know, the Bitcoin Ethereums and then just trade with a small portion like 10 20% for those, you know, extra spicy gains. And at least if I lose it, it's not that much. So. Does your photography mean that you look at a chart differently? Do you reckon your photo- you ever look at a chart as a work of art and see patterns <laughs> that maybe the rest of us don't? <laughs> not necessarily. I, I haven't thought about it. I don't know. <laughs> Because I always think maybe musicians look at charts differently from me. Like they would be like musical patterns in their harmonies. And I think, again, that's a bit of a GAN idea, isn't it? Yeah, it's a funny one because, yeah, I've seen um, Michael talk about the music thing and I'm not a musician. I struggle with that, but I have watched, um, for whatever reason, musical videos where they were talking about how people's, um, what's the word? Oh, who uses auto-tune and who doesn't? Oh, so yeah. some some musicians will sing and the computer locks their voice into a particular note, like tone yeah. or whatever it is. And so they're showing these bar graphs, you know, line, 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 like eight lines. And as they're showing this, I'm like, God, that kind of looks like a, a chart. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> and so that, 
that actually was what got me into the music versus chart reading. It's like, and now I'm starting to see that more and more. Like even when Michael draws eight lines, I'm like, hang on, that looks like a progression of notes and you know, singing yeah, going yeah, up and yeah. down. So I actually want to explore that more. As to whether the photography affects it, probably not, because the photography is even more organic. Like music does fit such a structure, and I guess light waves do. And I do understand light waves and how they fit structures, but. In terms of the creative aspect of photography, I haven't related that to the charts yet, but now you've said it. Hey, I'm going to look nice. for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so you want to write out these big kind of waves. Yes. And uh, tell me about then how. So, what I'm hearing at this stage is that Bitcoin is about is about money making. It's about setting you up. It's about yep. following that wave to the degree that we have a four-year cycle or that four-year cycle is still intact, the expectation would be that, you know, we might see a, uh, we might start to see some sort of, you know, increase as we head into the all-time high. And then usually the, I, I mean, the next halving, which is 2024, yeah. and then all-time high is usually about a year after that. Yeah. Which will, uh, which will meet the peak of the, supposedly the 18.6 year property cycle as well so that's all going to kind of happen at once and heaven only knows what kind of crash we might see the year after that yeah so um is there is there a part of you that also hold is hodling your your bitcoin for the long term that feels that it it ties into a bigger societal cycle like to the degree that there's changes in society going on in that kind of big picture background thinking that you've got going on yeah where does bitcoin fit into that for you is there a part of it that is separate from just making just writing out the wide waves and and profiting so I think from um, watching Jason and Michael, I've, I've kind of separated my brain. I'll tell a short story which will relate directly to this. When I started my photography career, I had my creative ambitions, but I had my I had to make money. Yeah, yeah. And those two can be hard to combine. And I went to a talk once where a photographer was presenting and he said, you know, someone in his early life said that he could separate his money from his creativity and actually enjoy both more. And so he did that in his business. He'd have his artistic pursuits where he'd go off and make no money doing a stupid thing that take hours and hours. And then he'd work with clients and just, you know, grind it out, shoot whatever they needed and make a bunch of cash. And that helped me in my business because I was doing a lot of our work was, you know, school photography, sports photography events. Hardly crea joyful. Creatively dead. They're logistics exercises, but I did enjoy them. Um, but I was like, okay, that's my money. And if I do stuff artistically, that's fine. I don't have to make money if I do great, but that's not why I'm doing it. Yeah. And so I, in this conversation, I'm kind of realizing, I kind of see in terms of investing with Bitcoin and making the money off it, that predominantly is the money making activity because I'd, what I'd rather be doing with my actual time is, you know, doing traveling, which I love doing photography, still pursuing my art in that sense and potentially creating business out of that, you know, doing gallery shows and all that kind of thing, which I do have some experience with. Um, but one is the foundation for the other. Yeah. Because I don't, at this stage, I don't want to have to worry about that being a profit-making exercise. I just enjoy it. I'd, you know, if I can make my money here and then do this with most of my time, life is good. Um, so that's like the, I guess, the narrow perspective. In terms of the bigger perspective of societal shift, 
I think Bitcoin is just part of the shift, but I'm still skeptical as to how much it will, like there's, there seems to be two forces at the moment of governments trying to get more control. Yep. And that's been part of the whole, you know, through COVID, we've just kind of seen that control thing get stronger and stronger. Yeah. But then there's this opposing force of people trying to decentralise, push away from governments, you know, have their own autonomy, blah, blah, blah. I don't know who's going to win that battle. <laughs> I can't. No, no, I'm and very... Yeah, so I'm, yeah. so I'm not, like, with me investing in Bitcoin, it's not like I'm, I, you know, I'm doing it because I'm trying to gain personal freedom, yeah. personal autonomy as much as I can. You know, if I've got a few million dollars and I can get a couple of passports in a couple of different countries so that I can move around and not be as subject to, you know, just my birth country of Australia or any of them, you know, yeah, if I can yeah. just move where the most freedom is, that's my ideal. Um, but, uh, yeah, I can't what quite the, What are the residency laws in um, Bali, just out of interest? Um, you can, so if you start a business there, which I did, you can easily uh, get residency, but there's sort of stipulations around how much money you meant to invest and things like that, which you can... Yeah. Theoretically, you meant to invest about um, about a hundred thousand dollars of in just whatever. They don't care what you do with it as long as you spend it. But you can kind of get around that as well, and not necessarily have to do it. So it's just once you hang around for enough time, you figure those things out. Um, But so I do have a a investor residency there, so I can go in and out easily, which is good. Um, But yeah, it'd be good to develop those. And in terms of yeah. In terms of where the world's going, I don't quite know, like even with the fourth turnings and things like that. It's like, I know at the moment we're kind of in the war period, evidently, <laughs> like there's yeah, yeah. lots of conflict going on. I just don't know. I'm trying to figure out what that means for me because I can't control the bigger picture of where the world's going. All I can control is where I am in it yes, and just yes. secure myself in the best position because I think I, when I was younger, I used to be... I guess more just supportive of like, oh, the government will look after us. It's all fine. I'm like, nowadays I don't delve into the conspiracy stuff too much here and there, but not too much. It's just like, okay, there's other people. They're trying to control stuff. That's fine. They've got reasons for it. They're trying to keep this whole big ship sailing. Yep. I'm on my little boat and I want to sail in my direction, <laughs> not necessarily where they're taking the masses. I understand why they're doing it. It's fine, but I'm too independent now. You know, I've had my own business of, travel the world I've got my own life so I just want to be in control of my own thing as strongly and tightly as I can be and so you know, I'll have to give up here this is a piece that a lot of Bitcoiners have in common which is concerns about increased regulation increased control yep. and whilst we can't do anything about that we do want to protect ourselves and our families I haven't even asked you are you do you have family do you have kids uh, yeah, no. So, so it's really kind of looking after yourself and knowing that you've got the freedom to move around Correct. as required. And at some uh, point I do want to have a family. So part of this is really me yeah. prepping for that. Like when I was younger, it was funny. I, I set myself up here and there. When I was younger, mum was hassling me, you know, when I was 25, 26, when are you going to have kids? Right. Like when, I'm, when I'm 50, mum, so just you know, back the truck up. <laughs> and that was, I said that just to get her to not hassle me, but that's kind of, you know, I'm 40 now and that's kind of where it's heading. Like I'm only just starting to feel ready for kids in terms of I've got a bunch of knowledge, have to pass something on. 
the only last piece I'd like to get is just this big stash of cash so that I can actually be an active parent, not a, a working parent where I'm away 12 hours of the day. I'd rather be around for it and enjoy it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this ties in, yeah, that ties into my sort of broader picture as well of the next 10 years, maybe my life will go in a family direction when I've, you know, got my person yep. to do that with. Um, yeah. And yeah, yeah just, just have that independence from, yeah, just being stuck from any government. Like, I just want to have the freedom. Well, it does bring a different thing into the equation, though, because once you've got a, a little person around and they're going to school, I mean, unless you're, you know, you're willing to homeschool, which you may well be able to do and has become increasingly popular, obviously, uh, all over the world. I mean, starting yeah. with the States, but certainly here in Australia, it's... It seems to have, it seems to be growing. I'm not sure what the situation is in Europe, how wide, you know, how common that is over there. So I get, I tend to get a bit, maybe because I'm here with my thoughts and listening to the people that I listen to, I get pretty concerned about all of that. But I need to stay put for my son's sake, he's in yeah. year eight at school. I need to ride it out at least till the end of high school, which is another sort of four and a half years or so. Countdown. <laughs> uh, Perfect time. And I get, I get pretty worried about it. I get pretty worried about the levels of regulation. I get pretty worried about the, the lockdowns that we've seen and how quickly that could happen. Yeah. Uh, and some of that's to do with my background and I've got a certain level of paranoia around all of that and, and yeah. kind of deep concern. So how do you feel you can best protect yourself in all of that? Build resources. I mean, when I had my business, the amount of stuff that I could legally, mostly just squeak away, like get away with, yeah, um, in yeah. terms of what I did with my business and my money and things like that was phenomenal. Um, and because I just had big access to resource, you know, I had a couple of million bucks coming in every year. That gave me a lot of slosh in terms of what I could do with my money and resources and things like that. Yeah, so exactly. it's now just personally building. But, you know, I had a bunch of staff, a bunch of responsibilities. So that kind of was the constraining factor. Um, if I can build myself up personally to be at that level and even through watching some of the people that we learn from, the more money they've got, they just, okay, they want to go somewhere, boom, gone. Yeah. Like they, they don't wait for permission. It's just like out of here. Um, yeah. So it's just building myself to be as flexible as possible. Yep. Within, you know, there's still constraints governing laws, all of those kind of things you get to deal with. But it's like, okay, this is the system. How can I work this thing to my advantage? It's kind yeah. of like people that don't have a business, but... And the ones that do, as soon as you have a business, you've got so much more flexibility in what you can do with your money and how you can move it. And if you understand the structures versus someone that's just a wage earner, like if, you, if you're earning 100 grand a year as a wage earner, you can't do anything about tax, you're really locked into it. As soon as you've got a business, even if you bring in the same 100 grand, there's a lot that you can do to claw back that tax legally. And so it's like, I just want to understand the systems, understand the restrictions, and then just carve my path straight through the middle of where I want to go, knowing all of that. No. And knowing that it could get tighter and tighter, but that's yeah, the big yeah. thing. It's like, if I can throw a ton of money on a hardware wallet and then just yep. go to Bali or go to wherever, they can't stop me. Whereas yeah, if I yeah. want to even send $10,001 to Bali, yep. <laughs> they're going to 
if they're going to know about it, they're going to be wondering why. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. you seem to, but you have a lot of faith in Bitcoin at two levels. One that I've heard, one is you said, oh, I want to ride up the Bitcoin wave, then the Ethereum, then the alts, mm. etc. So there's a clear faith that it will do that. Yep. That, that the four-year cycle isn't broken or there will be another <clears> cycle, there will be another bull run, that there, there will be broader adoption. Yep. And then there's also faith that uh, you'll be able to take it out of the country and yep. it will have value Yeah. and it will be useful. Well, yes and no, because I still see, um, in terms of the first part, um, I'm basing that on the 18.6, like Bitcoin's not dead. If it was going to go to zero now, probably yeah, would have, yeah. or it would have capitulated harder and things like that. So I was like, okay, chances are there is, you know, regardless of adoption, there's just enough people focused on it, enough emotional energy being put into it, that those emotions are likely to keep riding up with this sort of last wave of the 18.6. So more, I've got the faith in the emotions, not so much in the tech. And, and the tech is indicating that it's not, you know, the arse isn't dropping out of it. It's still at 20 grand. It's not even hit 10 grand, that kind of thing. Yeah, if it yeah. went below 10 grand, then I'd go, okay, maybe the four-year thing's broken, but it doesn't seem that way currently. Um, so there's that part of it in terms of, what was the second half again? The, oh, oh, the, the it will be worth something. Yeah, I yeah. Actually, I, I don't necessarily assume, I assume that we'll follow this, the pump up that's like that I believe is likely to occur with this 18.6, you know, just that general trend up. As soon as that crashes, I, I deem it as being worth nothing, but fiat will still be around. So I'm seeing myself just selling everything back into fiat in whatever country I'm in um, as best I can. If I have to distribute or do things, um, then I'll get it all out as, as best I can. And that's when I'd probably go back into land find if I finally figured out a place I actually want to live and be in one spot like the situation you're in now figure out which country that's going to be or maybe I'll have a couple you know find yeah, yeah. a plot of land here plot of land there raise my kids and yeah. ride the next wave so so it really is about bitcoin for you is an asset class and it's um to you said it's correlated with some other asset classes and counter yeah. Um, counter-cyclical to other asset classes? What, what's your take on that? Uh, I think it's just part, it's becoming, it seems like it's becoming more and more part of the mix. Like it's got its own cycle, yes, like it's four-year thing, but it's becoming bigger and bigger and bigger. It's just kind of flowing up with the trend. It's, it's still kind of a tech stock and we saw that, you know, as soon yeah, as yeah, yeah. COVID started unwinding, tech start, started crashing, which tied into the this part of the 18.6 year cycle, it's like, okay, it's predominantly a tech stock with a slight, you know, slight little bits of other flavor in it. So I think it's still got the opportunity to write up and it's still young and volatile. It's like the asset, you know, your golds and things like that just move so slowly, even gold, maybe it will double in the next five or six years. Well, <laughs> kind of thing, whereas with your Bitcoin, you got five to 10 X kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so I just say, you know, you've got your bigger stuff that just moves a lot slower, but it's consistent and you've got your smaller volatile stuff like this, which is going to go wild, wildly up and down even over the next five years. Yep. But I'm okay with that. Like I can handle that. Yeah. Um, so, but I don't, I don't get too caught up in the narrative of like, is Bitcoin going to change the world? Is it going to get us away from all governments, blah, blah, blah. The people that are running things 
without any conspiracies, just the people that have the most money in the world aren't threatened by Bitcoin. They've just gone, oh, this is something new. Great, let's integrate it. Let's, you know, make it work for us because they can. So yep. they're already making it work for them and that's fine. Like that's, they're playing a bigger game than what we are. Yeah. So I'm not, I, I don't get into the idea of, oh my God, this is going to revolutionize the world or change everything. Like it's just another step in the thing, but the people that are smart and know how to run the biggest multinational corporations aren't going to get phased by it. Yep. yep. Like they're just, yep. you know, that's why Berkshire and Warren Buffett doesn't worry about it. His, his his company is worth half the oh probably now because we've dropped so far. His whole company is worth the same as the whole of crypto. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> what's he worried about? <laughs> yeah, and I think at his age, he doesn't. He's got nothing to prove, and he's got yeah. no reason yeah. to engage with a new technology. And the some of the investors I've followed, it seems like, um, you know, they're happy if they're. A sixty-something hedge fund manager, they're happy with five to six percent a year because their primary job at that stage is to not lose money yep. and to beat inflation. Like yep. that's all. Yep. That's all they're up to. When you you know younger, you can be more risk adverse. You can you know just develop it quickly, quickly, quickly build it up. But once you build it up to a certain level, like to if I had five million dollars, it's like. Do I want to throw it all in on black and, you know, have a 50-50 chance of whether I make money or do I just want to, you know, get my 5 or 10% per year and just live off that? Um, do you have people that you chat with about all of this? Yeah, I've got a um, couple of friends here in Perth. I've got some in Bali, um, some on the East Coast, and so I just kind of bounce off different people, one one friend in Canada randomly. Um, so. Do you help each other with trading? Do you run kind of other kind of concepts by each other much um a lot of it can just be the either talking about the day-to-day -day of okay is something you know breaking up breaking down that kind of thing or um it can just be like that zooming out thing just like okay kind of where are we at the moment in terms of the the bigger picture yep you know it's when when crypto went from 30 to 20 just recently oh sorry bitcoin went from 30 to 20 recently i was through conversations with them, through watching the stuff that we watch, I was kind of anticipating that because part of me, you know, the emotional part of me really was like 30 grand, should buy some, it's a good price. And I was like, but the other part of me that had zoomed out and was talking to my friends that also zoomed out was like, just wait. It's like, yeah, it's okay. God. It's not the end of the world. And then suddenly, boom. And I had, one of my friends did buy in at 30, oh, 29. They're like, I got 29. Literally the next day, 27, 26, 25, like that's when you, <laughs> We had that week of just crap. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And so, like, I and I felt good in that moment. It's like, okay, I did what felt right, which was to zoom out, wait, 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 because that's when I got the money from my bank. So I was right there with oh, a ton right. of money from oh, my house, like just ready to throw it all in black. And it's like, just wait, just wait, just wait. Like, you know, this is coming down. So, and I'm still in that position. Even at 20, I'm still like, I can start DCAing now because it's got a low risk to the downside. Yeah, but yeah. Like, yeah. I could just do it at fourteen grand. I know, I know, I know. I've got to say, I've been the so last few days because I've got a little bit of cash there just from some work I've done recently, and I'm going, hold off, hold off, hold off. There's nothing in that chart that looks like it's breaking the downtrend. 
you know. Right. So hold off, hold off. It's hard just being patient. Yes. Like it sounds ridiculous that it should be hard to be patient, you know. But oh, it is. I mean, it's so exciting to trade and to just to buy things. Like even when I, that was one bad habit I developed in business because I had so much access to money, yeah. I'd buy a lot of just random shit. Yeah. Just because it feels nice to buy something. But yeah. now that I'm dealing with more limited resources, it's been good developing patience around these things because nearly yeah. most times i'd say eight percent of the time where i just like emotion like i gotta get in now i'm feeling like we should probably um be moving towards some kind of wind up but i sure. there's a question kind of play, playing in the back of my mind around intuition Again, maybe this goes back to the ayahuasca thing. It's about age. It's about, um, and, and intuition can be twofold. There's some sort of innate intuition about life. And then there's also intuition that comes from experience. You've been in the markets for two and a half years now. You've been watching charts pretty closely and you build up a feel for the market over time. Yeah. So, and I do want to kind of, maybe merge those in together i don't want to just take the experience intuition i also want to talk about just if there's some sort of um sixth sense intuition uh does that play a role for you either in terms of long-term investing and or trading do you trust you said very early in the conversation out of that very first personal development course that you did that it gave you a sense of I'm at mm. now everything that's I've experienced has led me to where I am. Mm. So is there a sense of trust or faith in in life to yeah. take you to where you want to be? Yeah, the way I like when you're talking about experience versus this. Yeah, yeah. Which is a bit <laughs> indefinable. Uh, the way I, if I had to define it, the way I'd say would be intuition from experience in terms of recognizing patterns like yeah, in my yeah. photography business school photography 15 years i could watch a shoot playing out you know if i just walk if my staff are doing a shoot and i walked in the middle of the day to this thing going on i could just stare at it for about 20 seconds go okay i can see what's happening here we need to adjust this do that and it's all going to smooth out and we'll be on schedule kind of thing yeah um that was the experiential pattern recognition it's like i've seen this pattern before i've seen this pattern i've seen it like a thousand times now yeah yeah. if we just do this and i've also tweaked it a thousand times if we just do this that should all work out this way i think the more esoteric intuition is kind of a pattern recognition but doesn't necessarily have to come from experience like with this you know as soon as i heard a tiny bit about the 80 year cycle and things like that i can on the 18.6 it's like i haven't been around for an 18.6 year cycle i haven't you know mm. presently paid attention to it but now i've got that tiny bit of knowledge that okay it exists great let's just let's assume it exists and just see how it plays out and you can sort of look back at history in terms of even bigger than that when you're looking at life patterns you're always going to get a summer winter you know spring mm. autumn i said in the wrong order but those cycles just kind of exist so it's like if i can just accept that they exist and go well how does that affect what i'm about to do like for me that's kind of the intuition of like okay where where does it feel like i mean 
in this whole big picture at the moment um and like tune into that like you know i've got my emotions of like it could go up could go down what am i gonna do but it's just like hang on just where does it feel like in the in a bigger picture as far out as i can where does it feel like it feels like weight like that's all it feels like at this stage um so it's yeah it's zooming out as far as i can from the the you know watching an ant walking onto the ground or you know walking its little path to really zooming out and going oh, okay there's a whole stream of ants and they just happen to be heading in that direction it's like i'm not watching an individual creator talk about their tiny little detail of something they're worried about it's just like, no just let me get out and watch this pattern um and there from i guess the the intuition can come up without the experience i'm just kind of trying to watch something yeah and then just feel it out you know from what i'm seeing what's going to happen yeah but i'd say that's different to the experiential thing yeah 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 yes it is it is because you haven't had the experience but you're sensing and you're feeling that it's there and it's it's a sense based on everything you're seeing and hearing around you i guess i've just got the experience of i know that if i look at the pattern of something that that will guide me yeah so it's like okay focus on what's the pattern here is there a pattern that i can discern if i can then that's you know that guides the intuition so how does this feel for maybe a final question what's your meaning of life and how does bitcoin fit into it (laughs) (laughs) just one of those easy ones um bitcoin for me is more currently i still see it as a means to an end like with all the learning that we've been doing it's like i want to it's not my highest value i'm not like you know a trader that's thinking about every single day and wants to be talking about every single day that's how i was and kind of am with photography i can talk about that a lot um so for me it's more this you know separating that income versus passion or expression so it's like this is something that helps me do more of that and i do enjoy this enough to do it you know i'm not fixing cars or whatever you know that stuff i wouldn't enjoy i do enjoy this but it's a means to an end to efficiently be able to do more of that because i don't want to just you know earn 80 grand a year 100 grand a year doing whatever working 12 hour days like that sucks (laughs) i'd rather i'd rather self-express more do more creativity i've got the i'm in the fortunate position to be able to do that compared to other people but because I'm in that position, I'm going to leverage the shit out of it. Yeah. And yeah, help myself and help people along the way. Um, meaning of life, you know, just enjoy it. Like we only got, <laughs> we don't know what came before this. We don't know what comes after this. I'm just going to enjoy my collection of atoms for the moment while they stay together <laughs> as best I can. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Try not, to, nice. try not to take it too seriously. I know, right? It's very easy to get caught up in it, hey? Yeah. It, well, it really is. You know, things can go wrong. There's high risks involved along exactly. the way. Yeah. I just, and I mean, part of that question when I said earlier, you know, if my father was dead, would I do this thing? I kind yeah. of asked my question in terms, if there's something I'm having a doubt about, great, I've got a doubt, but I want to do it. What's the fear? Does the fear relate to someone or something? If that thing didn't exist or that person didn't exist, would I do it? Yes. Cool. I guess that's an intuition thing. It's just like, if I feel that I want to follow this path, see where it leads. And I've got lots of stories, which I won't share now of that, but there have been certain times in my life where I've just followed an interest 
just because I want to follow the interest and it's led me in beautiful directions. Actually, I will finish with this. The reason I sold my business at year 10 in the business, I was already thinking of getting out, but I just, I had an intuition then of like, I think I need to stick with this because whatever problems I'm not enjoying now, I'm going to run into them again with my next thing. So I might as well stick with this business. I knew, no, face those problems, grow. And at least I know this business. So it's safer than trying to do it with another one. So I stuck through that. But then I met a new friend. I made a new friend who at year 14 challenged me on it and said, hey, you've talked about getting out of your business. I was like, yeah. And they said, but you haven't. And I was like, yeah. And they said, I think it's time. And I didn't have anything to like push back on with that. Like I'd finally hit it. And I was like, I think you're right. Within three months, the business was sold. Like I was just out of there because it was just following that intuition of like, yep, you're right. Yes, I need to be doing other things in life. Fine. There's also something in there about, you know, the stars aligned. It was meant to be. It felt like it happened. You know, there is something about. I had the right person asked the right question at the right time. Yeah. Yeah. And, but I could have gone, oh, no, but risks, but this, but I was like, no, it actually feels time. Yeah, yeah. And because it felt time and I just committed to that, I was like, yeah, I spoke to my, one of my employees, my operations manager and said, hey, I'm thinking of doing this. Two weeks later, he came back and said, hey, I actually want to buy it from you. I was like, amazing, let's do it. And so, yeah, within a month, we signed the paperwork and then two months later, he officially took over. I wonder if that, I've seen that in my life too. I've seen that play out. I wonder if it goes on at a collective level as much as at the individual level. I'm just musing oh, this out. You reckon there's an element of something's just, you know, like I feel that I sense that like this was meant to be in my life at that time or, or I feel something very, you know, strongly and it'll usually be in my work life that I need to go in this direction. And then it just suddenly happens incredibly quickly. Definitely. Um, well, I think that's what happens. I mean, you can't see that in politics and probably a bit at the moment of like, why is that person elected now? Why are these people taking that action now? Yeah, yeah. And what's the resistance? It's just these kind of big ideas being worked out on a collective basis where you do yeah, get yeah. Indi- individual casualties and individual successes, but it's like on a big picture basis, like everyone as a group is trying to figure this idea out. Yeah. And some people are trying it this way and some people are pushing that way and at some point it will resolve and just go... But and I this... do think that's the benefit of a more democratic society over a communist society because the where communism often falls down is forcing, you know, is trying to force yeah. with limited knowledge, whereas when you've got an entire, and I don't know even if it's democracy or whether it's capitalism or whether it's the combination of both, but when you've got all of those people inputting with all of those ideas, and as we were talking out before, and it all kind of conglomerates. So we were talking about a single candle before, but that plays out with a single policy that Definitely. ultimately ends up getting decided by all these players across, you know? Yes. That culminates um, in this particular. I mean, you, and you, you, you get that between certain countries, like every different country is running their own system. So that's kind of testing out ideas on that level. But even like in the US, they've got their 50 states. And their, their whole structure is based on that the state is the most important thing and the federal government just happens to facilitate, you know, stuff between the states. And yeah, so right. each of those states is an experiment. You know, they've got the big issue at the moment that the, the federal government said, okay, we're not dealing with this anymore. The states are, it's your decision. So now you've got 50 different experiments 
figure yeah, out what's yeah. going to work best and at some point it may shift again where it's like okay they all kind of reach a consensus and start acting in sync with each other but even if they don't like you can move around the states to find somewhere better and that's yeah. you know when i'm zooming out in my life i'm like okay i don't like any of the states of australia really <laughs> so i was like okay which country do i like best which one has the most favorable laws that suit me who's winning out for you at the moment who do you uh, even Indonesia, like with Bali, it's still, uh, there's certain things I don't like. Uh, I'm afraid of Mexico, which means I probably need to go there, but I think they've been doing reasonably. Um, oh, there's um, someone I can introduce you to around uh, Mexico. Amazing. In fact, I may be interviewing him and he's quite well known in this space. So Beautiful. Uh, and he moved there from Australia. Nice. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, feeling south, uh, Mexico, tiny bits of South America, like Costa Rica, and that aren't too bad. UK specifically at the moment, who knows if that will change, like I like what they're up to specifically right now. <laughs> See, I keep thinking about this. There's no perfect place in the world that gives you that level of kind of freedom that I enjoy would like. Yeah. But also some sense of stability or yeah. But that, and that's why I like the idea of having maybe two or three places that I can get to. Yeah. So depending on what mood I'm in or what mood the country's in, I can move yeah yeah so becoming I've, I've got almost no stuff in my life like I've moved around so much that I've really I've got like eight boxes at my parents house and that's it otherwise I'm good yeah. with a you know suitcase or two really so, minimalist there's exactly. a lot of advantage advantage in traveling light hey eh? yes yeah all right yeah well that feels like um a lovely conversation I feel like there's many places I would have liked to have kind of gone down deeper um, and I'm going to have to kind of feel this out in time and go, do I try to manage the time like this or do I allow myself to kind of go, there are a number of different spots along the way that were along your timeline, but then sort of, mm. you know, kind of philosophically that I would have liked to explore more. But um, I might just we, kind of change a little bit more after, the, <laughs> after, the, after I finish the recording. So yeah. I'm going to finish it. Finish up the recording on that note, and if you wouldn't mind just staying on for a, a couple of, of minutes after. But thank you, David. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for being my first, so to speak, no um, on uh, Bitcoin people. And I hope that whoever's watching has enjoyed listening to you because i have really enjoyed learning a bit about you and your life and the way that you look at the world so i'm going to finish up the recording there and uh we will chat further outside Beautiful. of this space okay holding cheers. fire cheers for now bye